Good morning. How is everybody? I got a little guest up here today. You've heard about your knight in shining armor. Well, here we go. (laughs) For those of you who have been with us, you know we've been studying Ephesians verse by verse. And today we're coming towards the end of it, which I kind of say with a little bit of sadness because this has been one of my favorite books. Hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, today's sermon, a little um, caveat. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through the whole sermon, so if I don't, there'll be a part two next week. If you looked at your notes and like, there's no way he's getting through four pages, you're probably right. But if by divine chance I get through it, um, we will conclude the book next week. If not, we'll have a part two. So we're going to be in Ephesians 6. And just a little review. The first three chapters cover who you are in Christ, that you are loved that you're accepted, that you're adopted, that you're chosen. Um, Chapter 2, we talked about you were dead, but now you're alive. He's given you new life. And then chapter 3 kind of concludes who you are in Christ. And then chapter 4 and following is how to put this into practice. How husbands and wives should relate. How children and parents should relate to each other. How employer-employee. And today, Paul starts in verse 10. You guys will read along with me. He says, finally, my brethren. He's wrapping up the book and he's given us a note that something that's going to happen in your life. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And verse 13, it gives us a conclusion. Since there is a battle going on, here's what you're to do. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask and pray that you would speak to us from this amazing passage that life is often, we find ourselves in a battle. And we're either leaving a battle or coming into a battle. And God, we've got to realize that we need the full armor of God to stand when everything's said and done. So we ask and pray that your blessing would be upon your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you ever remember when you were in a spiritual conflict, how that felt? I can think of many in my life, but um, one that really was kind of a turning point uh, in my adult life, I was working at a Christian fast food restaurant, Chick-fil-A. How many of you enjoy Chick-fil-A? Great place. And I I still remember, um, this is the one when they used to have it at the Biltmore Square Mall before it became Asheville Outlet's. Any of you guys go to that one? Well, you may have saw me. I worked there for five years from 15 to 20 years old while I was going through school and Bible college. 
And I still remember when I had a big spiritual conflict and you're like, at Chick-fil-A? I mean, it's supposed to be like the Christian holy bird place, right? Well, it was the night shift and they were blaring out music that just made the hair on my back stand up, which I don't have any hair on my back. But uh, And uh, it, it was like, uh, I was like, they're playing this music in Chick-fil-A. Typically during the day, they played the Christian contemporary or whatnot, but at night, they shifted music once all the managers left, and it was the most gruesome music you could imagine in a Christian restaurant. So I marched upstairs where they had the, I believe it was six-disc CD changer, and I put in some Christian contemporary music and hit play, walked downstairs. The next thing I knew, the night manager was all over me, telling me up and down and all around and going off, and the whole night crew was ticked. How dare you take her music out? And I remember that day, I almost quit, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to hang in there. And the lesson I learned is being a Christian, you're not always going to be popular. In fact, it will put you on the opposing end of many people in the world, even many who claim to be followers of Christ. So having said that, we are in a battle. We are in a warfare. Some of you had a battle yesterday. Some of you have had battles in the past year. And battles come in many shapes and sizes and forms. Some of you feel like you're going through a spiritual battle right now as we sit here. And some of you, may everything may be at peace, but something may happen tomorrow that will trigger everything. So it brings the question, how do you survive, and better yet, how are you victorious when life can often be a battle? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Today, a little preview, we're going to talk about the battle, we're going to talk about your enemy, and I'm going to at least introduce the weapons that we have to fight. And there's going to be a secret weapon that we sometimes don't talk about that we're going to conclude with. So you guys ready to jump into the word with me? Say, uh-huh. So how to put on the full armor of God. If you'll take your listening guide, the first point is this. Recognize that you are weak. Satan is strong, but God is stronger. Look at verse 10. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That phrase, be strong in the Lord, can also be translated, be made strong. And the implication is you and I are weak in and of ourselves. So I've, I've heard people in the past say basically they're going to take on the devil, take on the gates of hell. And my caution is be careful because this text, it tells us our objective is not to just go Rambo on the devil, it's to stand. And he's going to attack you. And five out of the six weapons are defensive, only one as far as that we're going to talk about majorly, are offensive. So how do you stand? How do you stand strong when the enemy comes against you? 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, it says he seeks whom he may devour. And it says resist him, steadfast in the faith. So sometimes you've got to realize there's a real enemy. Some of us can be a little oblivious at times. We just got back from a little two-night family vacation over the weekend, and we took our kids out to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, and we were in different situations. One, we went to the uh, Ripley's Aquarium, and the thing about the aquarium, if you've been there, there's throngs of people. It's, it's like, man, someone must have had a birthday party because this place is packed out, but it's, I think it's that way all the time. So our, our girls, who were sitting in the front row coloring, um, we had to caution them because they kept running into people. And we're like, girls, you're in a crowd of people. You've got to look where you're going because there's 
not nice people that could kidnap you. And if you're going here and there and running into people, we could turn around, you could be gone. And they weren't aware that that exists in the world, that kids can get kidnapped. And I think sometimes spiritually, we're spiritually oblivious to what's going on around us. It's not that we're to see a demon around every corner. That's not what Paul's talking about. But to realize that there's a real enemy, he's after you, and there's a real battle. And we have to know that you are weak, but God is strong. And the enemy is stronger than you are apart from God's help. So you need God to give you the strength. So even though you're weak, I want you to realize that God is stronger than Satan. A few few things to think about. God is eternal, but Satan is a finite being. He's created. God is everywhere present. Satan can only be in one place at one time. So most likely the attack that you had last week wasn't the devil himself. It was one of his fallen angels that worked for him. Does that make sense? He's just the he's the lieutenant. He's the uh, the one that calls the shots. So he's the general. Um, God is also all powerful and Satan's power is very limited. In fact, you read in the book of Job and other places that he has to get permission before he can do certain things. So he's on a leash. He's very limited. Satan is already defeated and will be completely defeated in the future. And God is all powerful. Aren't you glad that you serve on a a victorious team? How many of you guys follow sports? Anybody? Football fans, basketball fans. Well, something in the basketball world that's intriguing is the super team. If you've watched ESPN in the past week, you've heard them talk about the super team. And what the concept of a super team is, the super team is talking about the Golden State Warriors who have four people that are all all all-stars. So generally on a team, you may have one or two players. They've got four out of five that are all-stars. So everyone in the NBA is trying to create a super team that can compete with Golden State because they kind of wipe the competition off the courts. And did you realize in Christianity there's the original super team? There's been a debate of who started the super team. Did you think about the Trinity? That's the original super team. They've never lost. They're undefeated. And they'll win with or without you, but they invite you to join their team. So as we talk about this armor of God, realize you need to be on the winning team because we are victorious and we may feel like we may lose a battle, but we know in the end we're going to win the war. Amen. Number two, understand that Satan is scheming against you. Satan is scheming against you. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What does it mean when it says the wiles of the devil? In the original Greek, it's the word methodia. And the idea that really helps us is the idea that Satan has methodologies. He has a pre-planned way of attacking you. You may not realize this, but did you realize that the devil knows your weakness? He's had uh, some of his fallen angels studied you throughout the year. So you're wondering, like, how do I keep getting attacked with the same thing? Guess what? The enemy knows your weakness. And that's why he's got the principalities and powers all around us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, We are not ignorant of Satan's schemes and devices. In other words, you can track how Satan tempts you. You can also track on how Satan has tempted people in the past. And as I said, we're not to be fearful We're not to see a demon around every corner. By no means, 
but we are to be aware that we have a real enemy. John Piper made a really good point. He says that the way Satan tempts us is by telling us that we'll be happier if we do this. Take, for example, lust. Lust gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be happier if I follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. Have you ever heard that in the world? If it makes you happy, go do it. Do you know that's Satan's mantra? His mantra, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. The problem is happiness is really shallow. God wants you to have joy. Now, it's not saying that he's against happiness, but happiness is circumstantial. It's based upon happenings. Take, for instance, if I gave my wife a big wad of cash and said, go to the mall, she would be happy, but that wouldn't necessarily produce joy. She's looking at me like, yes, please. It wouldn't necessarily produce joy. God wants you to understand that the battlefield, in my research, I've discovered, even in the book of Ephesians, the battleground happens on four fields, and this is not in your notes. You may want to write this down. The first field is in your mind. The battlefield occurs in your mind. The second field is in your home. The third battlefield is at your job. And the fourth battlefield is at your church or in your church. So your mind, your home, your job, and your church. And you're like, where did you come up with that? It's the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians talks about changing the way you think because who you are in Christ. We've talked about the home, husbands and wives and kids. We've talked about the job. If you missed last week, Listen to the podcast. It was take this job and love it. And when you see it from God's perspective and also the church. So there's four battlefields that we're, the devil's fighting us on. So we got to understand our struggle is real. And a lot of times Satan makes us think our struggle is against people. But verse 12 says we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. So in other words, you may think your boss at work, you may think your ex or whoever is the enemy. But really, it's spiritual forces motivating people to do bad things. And I'll prove it to you. Think about the names Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. Think about Saddam Hussein and Osama, what was his name? Bin Laden. All of these guys, if you look at history, what what did America say? If we will take these people out, terrorism will be gone. If we take this person out, terrorism will end. Guess what? Another terrorist comes up in their place. So the human enemy is not the real enemy. They're just a pawn of the true enemy, which is Satan. So we can't stop terrorism until Satan comes to an end. And that's going to be when God steps in and takes care of history. So your real enemy is never a person. So that should encourage you. It's the spiritual forces behind the scenes motivating people to do stuff they're not even aware of. So the battle is spiritual. So let's look. If you look at your listening guide... Let's look at the spiritual battle, the forces of wicked. How do we understand what the forces of wickedness look like? Well, a few things is they're real. They're usually invisible, invisible forces. They're organized. Whenever you see principalities and authorities and powers, did you realize that was used to describe different levels of of the Roman government, different levels of organization? So the implication we can get is Satan is very organized, which, by the way, does it? Make you think the church should be even more organized if Satan and the forces of evil are that organized? We can't just play church, folk. We have to have a mission, an agenda to reach because Satan's got an agenda against us. But we have to have an agenda. And by the way, the promise Jesus gave, the gates of hell 
will not come against us. He will build his church. Amen. Um, they're also powerful. Notice it says powers. It's kind of like this. It's like me taking on Floyd May- Mayweather. For those of you who don't know who he is, it's like me taking on Mike Tyson or Evander Holyfield. I can't. I'm going to get beat up. Satan's much stronger. And that's why I need God's help. Um, they're catalysts of darkness and evil. They're temporary leading this world system. Let me give you a verse if you'll write this in your notes. It's 1 John 5.19. The Apostle John says the world is under the sway or the control of the evil one. And you're like, wait a second, I thought God is control. He is. But Satan is temporarily, Paul says, the God of this age, small g. So if someone's not following Christ, guess whose sway they're under? They're under the sway of the devil, even if they don't realize it. And that's, that's a real thing. They're large in number. They're spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. So a, a, a key to look at is it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That word wrestle, if you look at your listening guide, it's a term in the original language of hand-to-hand combat. Have you ever felt like you were in such a battle, it just felt like you could cut it with a knife? It felt up close, personal? Well, we're in a battle where the enemy comes against us, and sometimes it feels like we're going hand-to-hand in combat. But you know what? Whenever we're in a battle, we have to soldier up. Because God has given us, what? The armor. And the Bible says, put on the full armor of God. Now, as we jump into the next point, there's something interesting some scholars have pointed out. Three of these armors, it says having, it comes from the verb to be, and it implies you're to wear these all the time. That's the first three pieces. The next three pieces, it says taking up, taking up. It says it three times. So the implication is the armor were to take all it on, but the last three pieces, especially when the day of evil comes, we're going to need these pieces. We need all the armor, but especially when we enter into the day of evil. And you're like, what is the day of evil? The day of evil is any time the enemy comes against you to defeat you, to destroy you. The day of evil is that day when you get that phone call and the doctor says, I have bad news and you don't know what to do. The day of evil is when you feel spiritually attacked and you don't know where it come from. The day of evil is when Satan has you on his target and he comes after you. And I say this not to scare you, because like I said, we're victorious. I say this to prepare you that you can be victorious if you take on the full armor of what? Of God. So let's look at these pieces of armor. The third point is this. Believe that you can overcome the enemy by putting on the full armor of God. Now, I got this little stand here of a knight. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a real person? Does anybody in the audience want to volunteer? Wait a second. We have a real knight here. Watch out, knight. There's a microphone there. Let me move this out of the way here. All right. All right, if you just want to stand right here. So, when Paul wrote this, most likely he was either chained to a Roman guard or around a Roman guard. And he could look at the different pieces and say, okay, this is this. So let's look at the pieces of the armor. The whole goal in this, this, this armor of God is to stand. This is mentioned four times, to stand or withstand. So the idea is to hold your ground. And a hand-to-hand combat the enemy is trying to push you back, but you're trying to hold your ground. So let's look at the pieces of armor. The first one is the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the first piece that the Roman soldier would put on. And the idea of the belt of truth is it held 
the entire armor together. And also, did you realize the belt of truth? You ever heard the, the biblical term, gird up your loins? The idea was that you had a tunic. And whenever you wanted to run, you could lift up your tunic and tuck it in your belt. And the tunic would become like, in essence, a pair of shorts, which would make you faster. So the belt was the primary foundational piece of the armor that held everything together. Look at Satan's strategy in your outline. His strategy is to cause you to doubt God's word. Did you realize truth is something that Satan will cause you to doubt? It goes back to Genesis 3 when the devil said, did God really say? And all of a sudden you're like, wait a second. Did God really say this or that? Did you know in churches, many churches today are questioning God's word? They try to water it down. They try to say, well, that was true in that culture, but not in today's culture. We've got to have the belt of truth. If we don't have the belt of truth, we end up in trouble. So God's solution is to know the truth and to follow the truth because the truth will do what? It will set you free. The belt of truth keeps you victorious over the father of lies and keeps you, your spiritual life from falling apart. And here's the thing about this armor. We've got to realize, Paul says, put on the former of God. In other words, God's not going to put it on you. You have to put it on. You do what you can do and you allow God to do what you can't do, the impossible. A lot of times we go out in battle and we're missing some of the armor. And the Bible says you're to put it on. In other words, you take action and you be aware of what's going on around you. Amen. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness right here. This one's got a lion. The breastplate of righteousness is something so powerful because it protects all the vital organs of the soldier. Did you realize that Satan is attacking your heart? Did you realize a lot of times he goes after your emotions? You ever wake up one day and your emotions are in a mess and you're like, I'm so emotional and they're all over the place and I feel so down and you don't know why, you don't know where it comes from, there's no explanation. Do you think maybe perhaps your emotions are under attack? Satan loves to attack your emotions. And what you've got to realize is the breastplate of righteousness, this represents that I have right standing with God. It's positional and it's practical. See, here's the idea. Whenever you say yes to God, did you realize that he deposits his righteousness into your spiritual account? So you have positional righteousness. God views you as righteous. But then there's practical righteousness. Did you realize that on an everyday day to life, sometimes we don't live it out? So if I'm in a spiritual battle, and I know I, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm not living it, it can cause me to shrink back from the enemy because I don't have peace in my life. So Satan wants to attack that. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. So the breastplate of righteousness is this. To get to heaven, you have to be perfect. And I don't know about you, but I'm far from perfect. So how are we going to get to heaven if we're not perfect? The only way is to accept what Jesus did. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. So whenever you invite Jesus into your life, i.e. you become a Christian, you ask him to forgive you, God gives you the breastplate of righteousness. So how do you live that out? It's the whole process of sanctification. You're becoming what you already are. You're already a follower of Christ. So you become more like him each and every day. But one thing we've got to realize is we've got to be aware of self-righteousness. 
Some of you have heard of the famous author Gordon MacDonald. He's a famous author and pastor. Uh, very famous, I guess, in the 80s and 90s more so. And uh, he was just such a profound man, uh, led one of the biggest churches in New England. He was the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And one day one of his friends came up to him and said, Pastor Gordon, if Satan were to get you, what would be the one way he would get you? And Gordon McDonald said, well, I never thought about that, but I know one way where the devil couldn't get me. He said, I would never, ever, ever cheat on my wife. I'd never commit adultery. Within one year, he had been caught of uh, committing adultery. What had happened is there was a woman in his congregation that was going through a painful divorce. He started counseling her, and before they knew it, they were emotionally attached, and he did the very thing he said, I'll never do. So beware. The Bible says, if you think you're going to stand, take heed lest you fall. The right response is, but for the grace of God, there go I. So don't be careful about saying, I'll never do something, because that can set you up for a fall. So Satan's strategy is to give you a broken heart, to mess with your emotions. Did you realize that the Bible says he throws fiery darts at you? These are in your thought life. These are in your emotions. He attacks you. And a lot of times we think, I can't believe I just had that thought. Did you ever think that maybe that thought's not yours? Maybe it's a fiery dart that Satan's throwing your way. And he wants you to make you feel defeated that I'm not righteous or I can't believe I had that. Why do you take ownership of thoughts that are not your own? As my parents taught me as a five-year-old, you say, get behind me, Satan. You don't take ownership. Martin Luther once said, you can't stop a bird from flying above your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. So you've got to let those thoughts go. The third piece is the gospel shoes of peace. A Roman soldier would have these special shoes. They're almost like cleats. They would have like nails and different studs in the bottom of them. So whenever they were in hand-to-hand combat, they could stand their ground and not lose territory. So whenever you put on the gospel shoes of peace, the idea is when, when, when you have Christ in your life, when you know the good news that God has forgiven you, that your sins are gone, that you have a right standing with God, it helps you overcome a spiritual battle. So there once was a little girl about my daughter's age, and uh, she came to her pastor and wanted to get baptized. And he's like, well, why do you want to get baptized? And she said, well, because I have asked Jesus into my heart. And he wanted to make sure she knew what she was talking about. So he said, well, what if Satan knocks on the door of your heart? What are you going to do? And she said, I'll let Jesus answer it. So he knew that she was ready at that point. So you've got to realize the gospel shoes of peace. And we live in a world where there's not much peace abounding. I once had a guy, I lead a Bible study in Waynesville. And this very influential man came to me afterward and said, Timothy, I would give all the money in the world just to have peace. Something that you have, all the money in the world couldn't buy it. And I think that's so true. The world is seeking peace. And then whenever you have Christ in your life, you have peace with God. That's what the Bible calls justification. You're you're forgiven. But what about the peace of God? What about having God go with you in your everyday life? Now I think that Satan's strategy, if you'll look on your notes, he wants you to doubt your salvation. He wants you to lose your peace. There's been countless Christians throughout history who have doubted their salvation. Satan's got in their head and said, I can't believe you did that. You know who you are and keeps repeating certain things over and over and over again. 
And you know what? We need peace. And if you realize that Jesus wants to give you peace, the Bible says that God doesn't want you to live in fear, but perfect love casts out this fear. So Satan's strategy is to get you to doubt the message, but also he doesn't want you to share the message with those who need it the most. So you remember in Romans 10 where it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? That's the gospel shoes of peace. Satan doesn't want you to share the peace. That the peace with others. He doesn't want you to share the good news that you can be forgiven. So God's solution is to live out the gospel. Just like you would never leave your house without your shoes on, you need to wear the gospel to a watching world that so desperately needs peace. Peace with God and the peace of God in their lives. The gospel shoes will help you to live confident, victorious lives in a world that is full of quicksand. So I want to encourage you with that. So let's review. We have the belt of truth. Truth is that which holds your life together. Don't allow the world to take your truth. A lot of times you'll hear things uh, that the Bible was antiquated. It was written, you know, 2000 years ago. It has no relevance. Listen, truth never changes. And you can't invent truth. You can only discover truth. And God is truth. Truth is not just a proposition. It's a person. So we have the belt of truth. And then we have the breastplate of righteousness. Isn't it beautiful to know that when you say yes to God and you invite him into your life and you ask him to forgive you, that he gives you the righteousness of Christ. That when God looks at you, he sees someone who is pure, blameless, and without fault. Not because of your life, but because of the life of Christ. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And the shoes. My wife and many of you ladies love shoes. And shoes are a good thing to have. And we have, especially the ladies, have different shoes for different outfits. But spiritually, you need a pair of shoes that will help you. And that's having the gospel, the good news in your life. And this will bring peace to you and it will bring peace to others. So I want to encourage you, what area of your life is Satan coming against? Is he trying to take your peace? Is he trying to push you back? Is he trying to attack your mind and emotions? No matter what he comes against, I want you to know that God has given you the full armor. And your goal is having done all to what? To stand. And you can be victorious. One more verse and we'll do to be continued in case you're wondering, like, is he going to keep going? To be continued. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. So friend, I want to encourage you, no matter what you're going through, put on the full armor of God so that having done all, you can stand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. and Lord, all of these pieces of equipment, Lord, we could spend the next ten Sundays talking about them. But Lord, I pray that we would realize that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And Father, I realize there's somebody here that would say, Timothy, my mind has been attacked. My emotions feel like a playground and all over the place. And Timothy, I, I've listened to the lie of the enemy that truth is relative and truth changes. And I haven't really thought much about truth being a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I haven't thought about truth being eternal and not changing with culture. So Father, wherever we're at, I pray that we'd realize that even though we are in a battle, 
that's invisible and spiritual. Even though we're fighting on the grounds of home and family and job and church, that Jesus, you've given us victory. And we want to take up the full armor of God so that having done all, we could stand. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time if you'll stand, we're going to have our closing song. Let's give our soldier a hand. You know you're going to be back next week, right? <laughs> so, invitation is very simple. The first one is for believers. If you have a certain area of your life where you feel like Satan's attacked you, the Bible says take up the whole armor. It could be, I need the helmet of salvation. My mind has been all over the place. I need God to help me. It may be that you need the breastplate of righteousness. Timothy, I just don't feel like I'm living out the Christian life. It may be that you need the belt of truth. You need truth to hold your life together. You may have listened to the lie of the world that truth is relative, and that's quicksand. Truth doesn't change. Truth is eternal because God invented truth. Some of you may be struggling with um, peace in your life, and God wants to give you peace. No matter what area we talked about, imitations there. And for those of you who are seeking out God, and that today may be the day where you say, Timothy, I've never asked Christ into my life. The Bible says if you're willing to invite Christ, He will step into your heart, and He will give you the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at you, He'll say, see someone that's perfect, blameless, and without fault. Not because you are, but because Christ is who lives in you. So uh, I'll ask um, Judy to come forward, and I'll be up the front. And if you have any prayer requests, we'll be up here to meet you.